back in uh, July or August, I read this, a review of this book. It was supposed to have been like, probably the New York Times book review. Um, I couldn't believe uh, what I was reading in this review. Um, it's this shocking, kind of heartbreaking story about this family. Um, it's a true story. The Galvins is their name. Uh, they lived in Colorado Springs uh, back in the, pretty much like throughout the, the 60s, you know, maybe, maybe the early, or the late 50s as well. Uh, Don and Mimi Galvin. They had 12 kids, um, 10, 10 boys and two girls. They kind of looked like uh, sort of the perfect family. Uh, the father was, he taught at the uh, Air Force Academy. Um, very sort of just handsome kids, uh, athletes. Um, so they really did look like the perfect family. And in a sense, they were for a while. Um, ten boys, they had six of them uh, over the course of, I think, about ten years became schizophrenic or diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, which was just like shocking. Like, the medical or the world of psychology, I guess they just had never seen something like this. The name of the book is uh, Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family. Um, I remember when I was reading the review, I was very like intrigued by it, but I was also thinking this is just be way, way too sad a story uh, to read. So I didn't. Um, and then last week I was uh, I guess the, the New York Times had their uh, best of 2020 and the best, the best books of 2020, and I saw that this was on their, their list. So I started reading a little bit more about it. Um, I think I will read it now. It profiles these six kids and then adults who just lost their minds one by one. It also covers uh, those who weren't diagnosed, the other six, and the fear that they lived with that eventually this was going to come after them. I mean, just imagine, you know, you're, this was their oldest, I think he was a teenager, 15 or 16, and just this sort of inexplicable behavior begins. Prior to that, nothing. No, no signs of anything. And then it happens to the second, and to the third, and to the fourth. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the, the seventh, or the eighth, or the ninth? Thinking, like, this is, this is coming for me too. Um, it's just like, it's an unbelievable story. Just, just the summary I got of it. It's like a Greek tragedy. Suicide, murder, sexual assault, overdoses, all part of this one family. At one point, 
three of their sons were in the same mental hospital at the same time. The parents are profiled in the book, um, but it wasn't them. They weren't responsible for what had happened. That was, I think, the first place they sort of went looking. What happened? What was going on in this house? Was it something that these parents had inflicted upon their kids behaviorally? Um, But it didn't really make sense because six of them were unaffected. They weren't victims of abuse or neglect. The book talks, apparently the book talks a lot about just the disease itself and how certainly in the 1960s, how little they knew about it and the approaches, the various approaches were just, many of them were just wrong. But even today, how they don't even know that much more than they did 50 years ago. Just how these six lives were destroyed and, and all of the lives in a sense were destroyed by the disease that in, impacted the six. It wasn't just them. Apparently for years, um, they blamed the mother. She was kind of accused of everything from over-parenting to under-parenting. But then they realized with more study and more observation, it it wasn't her. And it wasn't the father. They were pretty mainstream people. There's one psychiatrist who's kind of emerges as sort of the hero, probably not even quite a hero, but the kind of the one voice of some degree of hope in the story. And she just concluded that this thing had to be genetic, which I guess is a lot of people would probably say that it has to be, has to be genetic. Somehow, some way, this was just in their blood. It was in the family. It was something that they really couldn't escape. He's sufficiently depressed. <laughs> it's just like a, an incredibly incredible story. Um, and things are just sort of in the blood. Things that are just sort of running the family. I mean, it's not always bad stuff. It's not, it's not always tragic stuff that's in the blood. Sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's positive stuff. I was uh, watching this interview with uh, Archie Manning. Some of you may remember him. He was the quarterback for the uh, New Orleans Saints back in the 70s. I think he played for about a dozen years. He was, he was, a, he was a great quarterback. He's the father of Eli and Peyton Manning. Between those two, they've got four Super Bowl rings and they're both gonna be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, something had to be in the blood, right? In the Manning household. I mean, this nature-nurture question, part of, it, part of it is environmental, no doubt, but part of it also just kinda be like, man, it's like genetic. Yeah, the, the family you know that's got four or five kids, 
Two of them became cops. One became a nurse. One's a fireman. Another's a teacher. They're just great people. They serve in so many ways and have maybe in some cases saved people's lives. They all come from the same place. Now, is that genetic, like in the blood genetic? No, I guess not, probably not. But it's because of where they come from, for sure. How they see life, kind of how they're wired. What's in your blood? What's kind of, what sort of runs through your family? Good and bad. I think there's real value in periodically making note of the good. Yeah, I just, my instinct is to be a certain way, and it's a good way, and it's no credit to me. I have to look as far as the way my mother or my father was. And that was Sinai. That was kind of their, their gut, their instinct. And it's just, it's, it's in my blood too. I mean, we, hopefully we can all see that in some aspects about ourselves and where we're from. And those good things about ourselves and kind of trace, the, trace the, the lines. But it's Advent. And again, we're hearing from John the Baptist, second week in a row. It's only four weeks in Advent. Two of them, John is kind of the, the main event. And more than not, John talks about repentance and reform. Kind of like self-evaluation. Let me take some time and look at myself. And for a little bit, let's just look at kind of the dark side. Take stock of that. And it's not easy to do, right? I think a lot of times we feel like we're, we're betraying something or someone when we're kind of critical about maybe where we come from, parts of where we come from, maybe attitudes or instincts that weren't really healthy, that really weren't right. And I can see how in some respects that was passed on to me. And that I need to challenge. That I need to, that's not inevitable. It doesn't have to be. And it's not like, okay, let's go beat up mom and dad and trash our family. No, it's like, hey, in most cases, they did the best they could, right? And they probably did a better job than their parents. The hope is with each generation, we get a little better at this, right? But I think it is at least to kind of name it, even to ourselves, not even to them. Because there's a pretty good chance it's in the blood. I do a little bit of that too. So what's the that? It's not easy. You know, there's a, you know that, you know, the, I saw this commercial, uh, you know, like uh, sleep number beds. You see them advertised a lot. They're like these crazy beds where you can program them, I guess, and you know, you can program half of it where the mattress is very soft, if that's what you like, and the other side is, is more firm. You can, they can incline and decline. They're like these computer beds. Anyway, there's a commercial where this, this couple is um, 
kind of like somebody's talking to them, promoting the, the benefits of this bed. And they're kind of looking and listening, and he looks very interested in this, the guy. And then he says uh, to the, he says to the, to the peep, the salesperson, I guess, does it help with snoring? And then the wife looks at him surprised and goes, well, you don't snore. And then he looks at her and he goes, I know I don't snore. And she looks kind of horrified, like, what are you saying? I snore? Like, she can't believe that she snores. Well, we all snore one way or another, don't we? Come on, you bust. Yes, you do. Don't you say you don't, Brennan. (laughs) And if it's not snoring, it's something else. And it's hard to look at. And it's hard to acknowledge, especially when it's more significant than snoring. And maybe we're being asked to take a look at that. What's the snoring that we do, especially in these couple of weeks of Advent? Maybe it's even this week to give some thought to that. What's something in the blood that's not great and can be made right? But maybe it's like it's some, somewhere between schizophrenia and snoring is probably where we are. And it's probably something we can change.